Alrighty, welcome back everybody. This is the Faultline Podcast. I'm Alex Davis, the host, and joining me in person, because I've made a recovery, our esteemed editor, Tommy Flanagan. Hey, hello. Ahoy. And uh, my esteemed colleague, Rafi Cohen. Hello. Who's uh, battled a Nielsen story. <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So, um, yeah, Tommy, last week was, was a pretty cracking issue, from my understanding. But but this week, how have we have we had a sofa more slump, or... Uh, pretty good mm, you're right we're suffering from a little bit of a hangover this week but i mean yeah not just last week but the last few weeks have just been so good i don't mean me personally suffering from a hangover by the way i'm fine the, the sort of hangover from how good the last few weeks of copy have been for mobile world congress and uh, the cinemedia event and uh, of course all of that and it's been it's just been immense and our our standards are so incredibly high here at Faultline. Yeah, it's a little bit of a slump this week. News-wise, I don't want that to devalue all the hard work that's gone into this week because we've got some cracking stories. Alex has done some exceptional analysis pieces. Rafi's slated Nielsen, which is always a good read. And um, I've got some good sustainability copy to add to our series of um, sustainability and media technology articles. So some really good um, stuff there. Um, actually, I wanted to mention that uh, we should update readers on um, something last week, which, which is the um, uh, our company motto, Write Drunk, Edit Sober. We figured out where it came from, which is um, Hemingway, of course. But um, we found out that it's apocryphal. What a word. I'm going to have to um, credit my dad again for that. It's two weeks in a row he's got a shout out. <laughs> what a legend. Um, anyway, um, our lead story this week is on Lightning, which is the JavaScript TV app development framework, which is part of RDK. And it I won't go into loads of detail because I'm, I'm just still quite annoyed, to be honest. And I get this, this pre- press release and I'm, I'm really excited because I love partner programs. Anything with sort of collaborative community nature is great. RDK, open source, brilliant. But start reading between the lines and reading into more detail and just think, I don't get what the point of it is. The whole point from the very beginning of Lightning, which has been in development on GitHub GitHub for quite a few years, is to make it easier to deploy... TV apps on set-tops, legacy or new, and also it was supposed to come with this sort of inherent partnership thing where it was easier to to team up with um, recommendation engines and and that kind of thing. So this, to me, reads like an admission that Lightning hasn't done what it was supposed to do in the first place. And this hype, all this hype from a couple of years ago from Comcast and Metrological, um, I think isn't isn't living up to it to be honest and it just seems like there's so much more in it for metrological than it is for the uh partners so get this there are two tracks right uh the oh i've lost it the developer track which is targeted at individuals because there are only 100 developers in the entire world who are qualified in metrological lightning developer status I don't have the numbers to hand, but I'm just going to have a stab in the dark that Android TV is probably a bit more than that. And the other one, the other track, is um, 
targeted at app development firms, likes of uh, 3SS, um, 24i Media, those guys who who do loads of great stuff in in uh, RDK app development, specifically with Lightning. But I mentioned those guys. They might not even be invited because it's not a sort of partner program that you can just go, oh, hi, can I jump on board? This sounds great. It's an exclusive invite-only membership and you have to meet the strict criteria that Metrological, i.e. Comcast, has set out. And I almost, in the piece, compared it to um, the Bullingdon Club, but I thought anyone who's outside of the UK is not going to get what I'm on about. So if you want a bit of uh, background research on... Uh, um, UK politics and a bunch of knobheads then read into the Bullingdon Club. So, yeah, that's not a, a, a great bit of uh, PR for uh, Lightning and Metrological and Comcast and RDK management. And the sort of underlying message here is that, it, it to me, it sounds like they're approaching the partner program in the same way that they approach their events. And anyone who's listened to... Um, uh, previous podcasts and uh, read previous articles will know all about our um, drama <laughs> with um, RDK management events and the PR protectors. Um, so yeah, I wasn't a happy bunny, but that ended up being our lead story just because it was it was really fiery and I, I enjoyed writing it. Um, so boys, you might not you might have noticed actually I haven't asked either of you about how Tuesday's webinar went. While I was clocking off early, you boys were getting involved with a webinar. And, I, and the reason for that is because I thought I would ask you about it live during the podcast and let you speak about that for a bit. That is fair. While in ABR uh, sort of terms, we're, we're struggling now with video feeds and teams. <laughs> so you'd hope, we'd hope we'd be a bit beyond this. Um, so everything's frozen up on my end. So I'm going to try and play the latency right. But no, webinar was pretty good. Shout out to Livestorm, actually, on that front, because we had a proper bad time of it with them on the first couple of events and a few like weird options and settings and stuff. And, yeah, um, they've been in the bad books. Yeah, they have. And, and I don't know if not doing a bad thing should put you in the good books, but um, yeah, it'd been pretty solid. Um, yeah, we had loads of questions, didn't we, Rafi, which was, which yeah. was good. Didn't have to use any of the fake ones this time. No, um, no, yeah, no. Um, yeah, no. It was, it, it was good. I mean, I, I, I was really just fielding questions at the end, but yeah, there was a lot of healthy discussion and people. I don't know. People seemed very curious about the topic. I think because it's so like secretive. I guess. Yeah, yeah, and I think probably the most questions we ever had. Uh, I mean, your your Wi-Fi one was pretty close actually. I think. So yeah, we it's been it's been like a good a good start. Um, lots of engagement. Uh, it's an interesting area. And then actually, we had, uh, had a couple of people. Did they say it was off the record? Can I dob them in? Uh, I'll play it safe. Yeah. I'll play it you safe. You can always so, edit this podcast. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but so so I had one vendor come out and go, oh, you didn't mention us. We've got we've got deployments. You're like, oh, that's cool. I did email you guys quite a few times, and and no one got back to me. So you know that that's on oh. you. This so, is the very large, the large uh, yes. CDN yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, company, <laughs> the, <yes>. big, the <laughs> big market shareholder. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm having a call with them. Uh, I should, I should learn, learn uh, what's going on with that. But I mean, that webinar was like you can kind of trace the origins of it back to 
like 2015 with like you know Comcast. I'm like, oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do it. We've got this cool set-top platform. We're, we're gonna do multicast ABR. It's gonna be wicked. Yeah. And then like 2018 rolls around, and you're like, oh cool. All right, so Comcast three years. It's probably you know done most of its CPE by now. All right, great. And then this time around, yeah, um, just had to go like looking, and yeah, it turns out they they never done it. Um, so actually the global number was you know a fraction of, of what everyone thought it was. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if there were more deployments out there. Um, but then, I mean, that just gets back to our like classic rant um, topic of companies being like unreachable. Because like every time Rafi and I do this, we we keep this like a Google sheet and we end up color coding. Well, Rafi color codes it because he's dedicated, <laughs> and I, I give up pretty quickly. <laughs> but but like there's legit times where like the gradient of, of purple has just got darker and darker and darker as Rafi sent more and more emails to people. Um, and then you know you, you don't hear anything. You try to do best. You you try LinkedIn. You you try. You say, oh Tommy, have you got anyone from you so and so? Oh yeah, yeah. This person will get in touch. Never get a reply. That kind of thing. Um, and 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 then yeah, you, you finally publish something, whether it's a rethink TV forecast or a, a faultline article, and then suddenly they want to talk to you, um, mm-hmm. which yeah, it's, it's not great for us. It's definitely not good for the industry. We should start doing um dot reports. Yeah. <laughs> to to um, real people in. I didn't realise you were behind the color code in Rafi. I've I've always. Yeah, I mean, I don't like to so. shout about it, but. Yeah, you should more. No, I'm a big fan of the colours, <laughs> but um. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was a it was a good good webinar, good topic, and it's nice to see people tune in. Like, um, so if there's any listeners who didn't see it, it's probably up on YouTube by now. But um, yeah, there's uh, replays and stuff of it, and yeah, it was a good one. But it, I guess in I think Rafi, you're going to talk about the upcoming forecast mm. shortly. Um, so I'll let you get there. <laughs> but multicast ABR was done like pretty swiftly, nice and easy. And this this current forecast that we're dealing with is a uh, gargantuan. Um, so yes, Rafi, this week your, your news uh, story, which I think uh, you, you're going to pan pretty swiftly, was a uh, Nielsen's acquisition. So um, the headline is how much Nielsen's posturing barely veils acquisition anguish. So uh, I don't I don't normally allow an exclamation mark in a headline oh. or at all in fault line, <laughs> but this was an exception. I mean, it just it, it worked. That was a great headline. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, Nielsen has proudly announced that it turned down a. $15 billion acquisition offer from a mystery private equity company. Um, and this was a not very clever bit of PR. It was kind of them basically saying, hate is going to hate, but we're going to keep doing our thing. Um, but ultimately, it was just really <laughs> embarrassing. Um, it's kind of just kind of showing that everyone believes that it's worth way less than it believes that it's worth, you know. Um, and it's kind of just exposing what we all know anyway. Um but ultimately, not surprising, um, you know, every everyone's been turning against Nielsen the past two years. Um, we've been documenting it and agreeing for the most part. Um, you've got all the consortiums, Media Ratings Council, uh, Video Advertising Bureau. They're, you know, sending for every opportunity. There's been some sort of, like, drama or disaster on a quarterly basis for the past two years. And it's likely to continue. Um, and even though they do kind of, Nielsen has this saving grace of this cross-platform measurement offering Nielsen one that's still not set to arrive or they they did like a trial launch with Disney at CES this year but it's not actually set to arrive properly till December at the end of this year meanwhile all the networks all its main customers are 
looking to for you know alternative measurement solutions with you know video amp i sport comscore all those people so it's just too little too late too slow and that's why it's getting these crappy offers um but what really shows how slow nielsen is being is this forecast that me and alex are working on at the moment which is kind of essentially trying to answer the conundrum of where all the numbers are and where where users and viewing habits stand when it comes to pay tv versus svod versus avod um and it will take hours to talk through everything but i'll just take you on a brief tour of the bit i'm looking at which is avod because um, that's usually what i cover in Faultline as well advertising technology um so what we've kind of done is counted monthly active users as if, you know, say say you watch five different Avod platforms, you're counted as five users. And if you do it this way, where one person on multiple platforms is counted as, you know, seven different users, then we've currently got around 7 billion monthly active users watching Avod platforms. And this is set to grow by another 1.5 billion over the next five years. Um, outside of China, this is around 6 billion. Um, and the top five outside of China are kind of surprising, or maybe or YouTube's at the top, which I think everyone would have guessed, and that makes up well over half of all the monthly active users globally. Um, and then the next two down are the two major Indian services, MX Player and Voot, and they both do offer um, kind of paid tiers, but I think, you know, in, and they are incredibly cheap, especially, um, I think as MX Player, it's like uh 199 rupees for the year which is about two pounds um and then you get a completely ad-free svod service um which is pretty mental even by other indian service standards um and then you've got also got daily motion and surprisingly bringing up the rear for the top five outside of china is pluto tv i think that's on around like 60 or 70 million at the moment but i was really surprised by that i still kind of thought that was a bit of a small nothing platform in my head um and then if you look over at China, you kind of realize how different the market is, how separate it is as a world. It's kind of just its own little entity. They, entity. They've got around 3 billion AVOD monthly active users. And you've got the top five platforms, Yuku, Tencent Video, Lee.com, iQiyi. And uh, my most recent discovery for China was Billy Billy, which I never heard of. But that's got, you know, that's got 200 million users at the moment or something ridiculous. Um, and growing rapid, you know, it's growing at like by like a hundred percent each year or something stupid. Um, and what's really different about China is that um, kind of two tier services are really the norm. Um, every, you know, all these five platforms they all offer Avoid and they all offer subscription. And it seems like there's quite a large market for both models. Um, it's not say like YouTube Premium where barely anyone bothers to get it. Um, here, there's like a huge market for subscription. Um, and then if you look on the revenue side of things, um, ad revenue for AVOD globally, that's set to grow by at least 80% over the next five years from around $50 billion to $100 billion. Um, and if you look at ad revenue, it's just clear how much YouTube dominates. Already it's, you know, over three quarters of that $50 billion globally. And we, we think this is going to grow way more to, you know, probably something like $60, $70 billion by the end of our period. Um, and then going back to China, if you look at global subscription revenue on these Avod platforms, China makes up about, you know, three quarters, four fifths of the market because there's so that's this prevalent kind of freemium two tiered model where all these Avod services where you can watch this content normally, people actually opt to pay for it. Um, 
and yeah it's just i i wonder why that is i guess there's just kind of less prevalence of pay tv or most of the content has been quicker moving to those services but yeah that's it that's a little taster of what's coming up there's set to be a lot more detail and analysis in the report wow that was a lot more than a little taster <laughs> Gi- giving away all your crown jewels there at once i think that's very nice, good nice um do you remember though. when people used to call them freemium services where you'd get the two tier um, Avod and Svod in. Well, like me, one minute ago. Did you call them <laughs> premium? Did you? Yeah. I didn't hear that. Sorry, I was just. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're keeping the dream alive yeah. because yeah, no one calls them freemium anymore. I thought the marketing departments had killed that. Yeah, it's always it was always a bit greasy the word freemium. Mm. But no, the the two tier stuff is. I mean, like so before, like all the sanctions and stuff. Like I, I remember like pointing out that like in worth knowing that Netflix was being forced to carry tv um in in russia so you could then sort of go oh well you know if they have to do it in russia then feasibly they they should have the technology to do it anywhere and then i mean that that would be the that would be a a coup wouldn't it the the svod guys like stealing linear tv from from the broadcasters that would be immense um Mm -hmm. but yeah um there's a lot of money sloshing around and and i've just had a thought so like if 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 Rethink could do 1% of the job of Nielsen, right? if we could do Nielsen's job to, to just the 1%, that would value us at $150 million, which I think is just proof that like money isn't real. Like It just, it just doesn't exist. Um, uh, what, 10 people? Yeah. So, I, I mean, like in terms of getting your money's worth out of a purchase, <laughs> I'm not really sure that's... Yeah, I'm not sure how that's going to function. Um, yeah, right, sweet. Thank you very much, Rafi. Um, yeah, we'll hopefully be updating you on, on the whole report in a couple of weeks. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, and we're out of time, I'm afraid. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No. Yeah, um, I mean, so I, as Tommy said, I got to go exploring um, this week. So headline, classic catalogue worth questions, SVOD fragmentation worsening. So, like, um, I'll probably focus more on the speculative stuff because there's a lot of data in, in, in the article and some graphs. But like we've had this lingering suspicion that the sort of library, the catalogue um, of titles, is being somewhat devalued by the fact that consumers no longer can't get everything in the one place. Um, so like we had that old adage that you know everything was on Netflix. So like if you had a pay TV package, you could just get Netflix and you'd have access to like feasibly everything. Because like 15, 20 years ago. A film come out in the movies, you want to go see it there. If something was on TV, it's either on the free-to-air broadcast channels or it's in pay TV, and generally you could purchase the sort of packages to get access to whichever shows you wanted um, via your, your pay TV supplier. And if there was something you wanted to rent, you know, Blockbuster would have it, and if you wanted to buy it, then it would appear in, you know, supermarkets without much sort of difficulty so like back in the day a consumer would sort of have like three maybe four purchasing decisions um and then of course netflix has been forced to do original content because all of the rights holders are bringing their titles back home so they can launch their own streaming services and it, it means that the the sort of the the equivalent of the literary canon for like tv you know the best tv shows of all time the most popular tv shows of all time um before they could be found in one place and now they are spread over sort of six or seven um, different sources so then like on the one hand 
that's sort of the sign that there's like strong competition in the market. So if you look at it from a like an anti-competitive view, that all these titles are up for grabs uh, and they're not in the hands of like one or two um, sort of platforms is great. Like that's a sign of a healthy, you know, competitive uh, ecosystem. But when you then look at it from the from the um, consumer perspective, it means that if you want to be able to watch uh, the entire canon, and this canon, like this idea, we, we just sort of did some Googling and aggregated uh, a list, and it's 17 titles, you know, Sopranos, The Wire, Game of Thrones, like, you know, the, the big hit is Breaking Bad and whatnot, Walking Dead. So so there, that list, you now have to sort of have, um, yeah, a, a lot more purchases than before. And it, I think we're moving towards this kind of awkward... Um, uh, sort of question for regulators of like has this market become you know consumer unfriendly um, and then the longer term part is the the sort of I think there has to be a kind of um, an upheaval in how people purchase SVOD systems because like historically you you probably had a pay TV service, you probably bought Netflix, and those would just tick on in perpetuity. And then there was a pretty decent chance you became an Amazon Prime subscriber. So if those three were kind of staples, it then meant that if you were buying an additional like service, so nowadays it would be Disney Plus, but maybe it's sports related, that additional one is the one that you'd be like most likely to cancel. Um, because you're still used to having an annual subscription that you pay for in monthly installments and now that you throw in paramount plus and disney plus and discovery plus to be able to watch like everything that's available you and you would end up like to to have to have like seven or eight subscriptions to watch everything and then it gets worse if you throw in sports so then i think it's just going to force consumers to start being very kind of ruthless in terms of um, cancelling these services when they're not watching them and then then the question of like is the catalogue is the library powerful enough to like draw people back like when they absolutely must watch one of these classics are they going to um, pay up and, and sign up um, and stay around like, or, or is the library there more of a like a way to prevent churn so that if a, if a consumer is aware that they've got access to all these stuff that you know all the stuff that they like in the one place that they stay and yeah good luck I guess good luck getting data out of these um, platforms to sort of confirm um, some of those hunches uh, but the I think the the fact that in France you need sort of eight subs whereas in like the UK you only need four um, sort of it points at something, uh, a changing landscape, and, and there's a lot of stuff there to sort of speculate and put your tinfoil hat on um, and, and play around with. But yeah, there's there's some sort of numbers and figures and graphs and stuff in, in the article, so you can go check that out. Um, and with that, I think we've reached the end of the long-form content, so of course we'll move on as is tradition. I've got something for you. Instead of doing um, a worth noting thing, I wanted to read out the worst PR of the week. I think we should Ooh. potentially make this a feature. We should this does sound good. Yeah. Read yeah. out each, yeah, one from uh, from each of us that we got. My favourite one, it only just came in recently, actually, but I uh, I laughed out loud reading it. It is, oh, let me read it out, here we go. It goes, hello, I thought you might be interested in news that David Beckham has entered the world blockchain, <laughs> NFTs, 
and the metaverse <laughs> by becoming a global ambassador for Digital Bits blockchain. I mean, I love you, Bex, but come on, what are you up to there, fella? Even better, actually. There's a quote. Here we go. It gets better. David Beckham said, I am always keen to find new ways to connect with my fans across the world. The moment I spoke with Al and the Digital Bits team, I knew that this was a major opportunity to create new experiences for my fans online. I have always taken pride in working with the best teams and I'm so excited to work on my NFT collections and more innovations in the future. Sorry I didn't do a David Beckham accent, but that, I haven't got that in the locker. <laughs> but there we go. I hope that cheered you up. That was painful. Yes. <laughs> didn't he very... recently sell like a majority stake in his like brand like the, the the david beckham company or whatever so like this is obviously the, the first the first of many to come then well we were having david beckham that. toilet roll <laughs> oh, he, he's got a whiskey in, endorsement doesn't he Hague or something like that that's trash um yeah cool okay right yeah we'll try and do that i mean that's i don't know what's worse that one or the um the dolly parton one from a couple of weeks ago oh alluvio yeah <laughs> yeah oh, pretty, pretty rubbish because she'd done she'd managed to like get some good press for herself by saying hey rock and roll hall of fame you look pretty corporate yeah, i'm turning good. you down i'm politely declining i don't do rock and roll and it's like all right fair good and then yeah she's she's now doing nfts with a company that is like pretty cool but again like just devaluing itself by by chasing yeah. nfts so that's disappointing all right cool we'll try and do this as a <laughs> this will be fun <laughs> yeah um, this reminds us work for next week yeah this reminds us of uh in, in Bargon, if you remember that time that was a plan oh, yeah. a long time wait weren't we supposed to that was supposed to be a secret wasn't it uh, well it's not it's not launched yet so <laughs> <laughs> it's been like four years god damn it all right um <laughs> Yeah, that would be fun. Right, sweet. Cool. Okay, a slightly lively, slightly uh, rattly Faultline podcast. I hope you all enjoyed, dear readers. Head to rethinkresearch.biz, of course, to find the Faultline free trials. That's where you also find the exec summaries for Rethink TV. Uh, please leave us a nice review on your podcasting app of choice. And if you've got some juicy goss, uh, please get in touch. Please let us know. And with that, we'll see you next week. And uh, yeah, take care. Bye-bye. Yeah, cheers everyone. Don't forget to uh, look at the Bullingdon Club if you don't know what it is. See ya. Goodbye.